Welcome to Gonzo Gaming, a series of audio articles that basically give me the freedom to rant about something different in the world of video games every week. Heavy Rain was a game that we were all waiting for with bated breath. Some people were blown away by it and some were less than impressed. I fall at a point in between and what I'm about to say has serious spoilers in it so you better finish it first and come back to this. We all on the same page? Then I'll begin. It's impossible or at least inadvisable to look at Heavy Rain without examining its director David Cage. He's a man with ambition and vision and having seen him speak at Eurogamer last year I was honestly captivated by what he was trying to do here. We need people like Cage. Men and women who look at the status quo and say we can do better. This man may have seen one Space Marine too many because he and the rest of the team at Quantic Dream have set themselves the task of giving us an adventure unlike any other a game can offer. In doing so, and I'm sorry to say this, really I am, but I will explain myself. He has fallen into the trap of delivering us what seems like lazy offcuts of a medium that we should currently be surpassing, movies. Before I begin my relentless assault on this piece of work, may I once again praise Quantic Dream's intentions. Hereafter they will be abbreviated to QD. Clearly we're meant to fully immerse ourselves in this grim and emotionally wrought story of lost pain, fear, impossible redemption. I'm just here to tell you that despite my willingness, even my desperation to, I didn't. First up, let's address the thing that slaps you the moment you pick up the pad, the controls. They're designed to be freeing, but are conversely restrictive. Movement is as awkward as the original PlayStation version of Resident Evil circa 1996. Your character sleepwalking mawkishly through your home, mechanically rotating their head in the manner of the Terminator, stumbling past objects of interest as you attempt to position yourself in the exact correct spot to pick up and use a toothbrush or an apple. It's still currently impossible to adequately portray simple body movement and interaction around a familiar environment, but this game actually feels like several steps backward, every fumbled interaction serving only to highlight how fiddly QD have made their minutiae minigames. As a father, I can attest that it's actually easier to feed and change a baby in real life than in this game. This is another thing that knocked me for six. I really hate doing little things in reality. If I want orange juice, the fun is not in the grappling with the carton, but the actual drinking sensations, flavour and satisfying refreshment, something rarely accurately depicted in games. I play games to escape the humdrum. I will not applaud QD for giving us a laundry list of daily chores to perform. I didn't like it in Shenmue on the Dreamcast in 1999, and I don't like it now. The controls take on a much darker influence later in the game when you're required to keep yourself and others alive during the quick time events. In the past, developers have struggled to balance punishment and reward for inputting these button presses incorrectly or not quickly enough. Some make you repeat the same sequence ad nauseum, some mix it up or just kill you outright, but Heavy Rain is one of the first games that make you apparently live with the consequences of your failure to act. And here we find the crux of my frustration. When I played to the end of Heavy Rain, I made three mistakes on three action scenarios. I missed a jump with Ethan, I accidentally kicked a window out too early as Scott, and I walked in the wrong direction for three seconds too long as Madison. The result was the worst possible combination of endings. Lauren drowned. Madison caught fire, rolled in the flames, and burned to death before my eyes. Norman gave up, Sean drowned, Shelby walked free, and Ethan hung himself in prison. All from three misplaced button presses. David Cage has expressed desire for players to only go through the game once and to be satisfied with their endings. After three nights of frustrated thinking back on my mistakes, I resumed play from the police raid on the motel and got the button presses right. Lauren lived, 
Madison got into the fridge, just like Indiana Jones, and survived to tip off Norman. Ethan escaped and saved Sean, and Shelby was pulped after a protracted fight with Norman. All from three correct button presses. Now, I can fully accept an ending as utterly soul-deadening as the first one I got, if it was based on the moral choices I made throughout the game. But the god-awful finale, that rotting cherry atop a cake made of tears and regret, was put there because I am just not that good at quick-time events. I had it on normal difficulty, and crucially, I refused to live with the consequences of my actions. So that vital part of the game was dispensed with. There is, of course, another reason why Cage would rather we didn't play through more than once. The realisation that one of the game's chief selling points, that impressive cover story about how every outcome is different and how much your choices impact your journey, is nothing but crafty misdirection. Once again, I respect David Cage in the same way as I respect Mandrake the Magician. Play through a second time and you will inevitably find that your choices affect very little. Leave a coughing, asthmatic Shelby without his inhaler and he will stand wheezing in the hallway forever until you give up and relieve his pain. Thanks to Ratso for that one. Belligerently refuse to put up your hands during the robbery and you will be harmlessly shot in the shoulder. Don't worry, you'll get what you need. The plot depends on it. The scene plays out in a number of ways, but in the end, all that matters was the shoebox. And that's the big reveal in the game. Not the nonsensical identity of the killer, but the fact that what seemed at first like a dark forest with many twists and turns is actually a brightly lit corridor with several side rooms. Did you get to the subway and evade the cops with Ethan? Doesn't matter if you didn't. There's a scene with Norman springing him without repercussion from the police station. It's as unavoidable as it is ridiculous, and it puts Ethan back in the main plot corridor, heading towards the finale as though nothing had happened. The fact that a mere handful of the side rooms contain fatal traps that need to be negotiated by way of quick-time events actually seems more divisive and disappointing than the original spine-tingling assumption that you might die at any time. There is the blood... There is the long, there is the throng To pull the sword and the legend Is in my hand For a blessing or for a curse There will always be the rain Always be the rain There will always be Okay, that's the mechanics trashed and thrown into room 101. Now for the characters. This is where the interactive movie aspects really come in. Watching these characters play out their personal dramas, you can't help but think of cinema. Unfortunately, it's not really very good cinema. The acting is of a high calibre in this medium, but it still doesn't match up with the classic films like Seven that Cage is so clearly inspired by. Sometimes it's not quite as good as the Saw movies that he's clearly been watching with a notepad in hand. In the same way as the graphics are so close to real life but don't quite get there every time, content instead to stand atop the highest peak overlooking the uncanny valley and take deep bungee jumps inside, the main characters occasionally gain that third dimension. Ethan in particular is clearly a man deeply depressed and tormented and we can sympathise with his every action. However, the tertiary characters struggle to even find a second dimension. Villains are sneering, cackling, sadistic ghouls with no more motivation required than that hurting people is fun for them. We can't take Dr. Death or Mad Jack seriously because they seem lifted out of a bone-headed slasher flick of the type that no good game developer should aspire to. Jaden's partner Blake is possibly the clumsiest and most violent, aggressive and sloppy police officer ever to grace our screens, accusing everyone but the Pope of being the origami killer and beating them up when they express innocence. 
Jaden himself is nasal and whiny, used mainly as a cipher to provide us with a fast food CSI, which, by the way, if we fail to catch absolutely everything, results in a total dead end to his journey. As rudimentary as his detective skills are, he seems unwilling to work with the clues you do have if you're missing a few. This is one of the most petulant and punitive mechanics of the game and left me hating the character and everything he stood for. And then there's Madison. By far not the worst female representation in gaming today. She's resourceful, compassionate, able to fend off attackers and willing to kill to survive. But she's also the only character in the game who's salaciously over-sexualized to the point of farce. The first thing you do with her is shower, and when you're attacked you seem unable to put on pants. Later you may face being drilled very specifically in the genitals by Dr. Death, while you screech like a floozy in a third-rate horror movie, later still in order to get the attention of a drooling pervert in a club, the only possible way you can do this is to make yourself look significantly more slutty and dance on a podium. This leads straight to an enforced strip tease at gunpoint with all your choices meeting in dead ends until you lamp the rapey club owner once again only clad in a few bits of lace. This is followed by a ridiculously insulting and seemingly hastily added soundbite. That's what I call kicking butt. You go girl. Excuse me? Did we just step into the realm of female empowerment? No. Kill Bill is that. The Descent is that. This is just plain tawdry, and Cade should be as ashamed of himself for writing it as I am for enjoying it. Of course, I'm not suggesting that the tables be turned and we get a Scott Shelby lap dance. That is reserved only for my nightmares. But couldn't Madison have been given a chance to, I don't know, use her mind and not just her admittedly splendid body the whole time and and before you start saying she did most of her detective work is so remarkably circumstantial and or dependent on you the player just trying everything available that it hardly constitutes intelligence the last time we saw you you looked so much older your famous blue raincoat was torn at the shoulder you'd been to the station to meet every train you came home without Lily And finally, as this sorry tale comes to an end, we land on Scotty, the linchpin of the game, the origami killer, a man who dresses in his former police uniform and abducts young boys, coldly locking them in a storm drain and setting their father's cruel and unusual tasks in order to prove their love. Nearly a dozen boys drown as their fathers fail, but it's okay for Scotty, it's what John would have wanted, clearly. And when he finds the one... That man who embodies everything he's always longed for. Strength, honour, self-sacrifice and absolute dedication in the face of utter futility. What does he do? Does he, in the manner of a man who befits his psychological profile, reveal himself to Ethan, beg for forgiveness and leave himself at the mercy of a father's wrath? Which, while a straight rip from Seven, would have made for a really interesting final moral choice. Do you kill this man in front of your son or see him go to jail? Or does he calmly shoot himself in his apartment, his work done and the circle complete, a sombre yet mature denouement? No. 
He goes to his warehouse, the scene of the crime, draws his gun, twirls his moustache and sneers that he can't let either of them live because Sean has seen his face and he wants to go on living, eating cheeseburgers, shopping for new raincoats and possibly murdering more defenceless ten-year-old boys. He stops just short of tying Madison to the railway tracks. This makes absolutely no sense, and it's a dreadful insult to people expecting an intelligent, well-reasoned, and impactful ending. He's not even mo- a monologuing Bond villain. He's a Bond villain henchman, chasing Madison up ladders and fighting Norman on a conveyor belt like chief guard in the Temple of Doom. This is when it drops from having the potential to haunt you and stay in your thoughts as something truly effective, like Seven to just being yet another loopy serial killer thriller like Kiss the Girls, The Bone Collector, or any number of movies that have tried and failed to measure up to David Finch's classic. I buy Scott as the killer. It's always the most genial cop, or in this case ex-cop, who's hiding a deep, dark secret. I just don't buy the fact that a man like this, who could do all this, put all those boys in jeopardy, arranging so many elaborate traps, would not feel completed and satisfied when somebody actually succeeded and saved the day. In his mind, that would be the point. Now, I don't presume to be a better writer than David Cage. Actually, have you heard some of the dialogue in this? I do presume that, and I do intend to write a game that is better than this. But, and here is the key point I want to leave you with after all my bitching and whining that a game I was looking forward to didn't turn out the way I thought it would, and made me jump through more tricky flaming hoops than I expected or wanted. This game is absolutely essential, not to play, but to exist. Heavy rain in the parlance of John Doe is going to be puzzled over and studied and followed. While all the praise you could heap upon it for originality should actually be levelled at Cage's earlier work on Fahrenheit, itself massively flawed and taking many cues from earlier games like System Shock, no game has updated the point-and-click adventure in a way that gets so much chatter on the internet. I mean, I just spent the last ten minutes talking about it, and it's been out for weeks. You've probably heard versions of what I've said over and over, and yet still I felt compelled to submit my two cents. Cage and QD have a knack for inspiring people and making us think that their projects are going to change the way future games are made. But in essence, they're right, because as broken and sloppy as the final product is, it still sold bucket loads, it still impressed the hell out of countless players, and if you love it and you're still listening to this, then I apologise for the many millimetres of teeth that you may have ground down in the duration, but by all means present me with your rebuttal on the Digital Cowboys forums. And David Cage, if you're listening... If somebody said that they greatly respected me, even though they hated my podcast, I would still do an interview with them. <laughs> 